Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Beyond Queer Stories. Today, our guest is Kevin Whitener Jr. He is an interdisciplinarian artist and an art historian whose work discusses the relationships between gender and queer experiences as they relate to race, the effects of neocolonialism, and its parallels with magic, religion, and witchcraft. Kevin holds a master's degree from the School of Art Institute in Chicago in modern and contemporary art history, theory, and criticism and a bachelor's degree in art history and anthropology from Ripon College. As a performance artist, Kevin designs and enacts performative rituals that draw upon historic and contemporary manifestations of magical practices in the occult, while illuminating their parallels with queer identity and experiences. These rituals comment upon consequential colonialism that continue to impact contemporary communities, manifesting desire and intention through choreographed figurative ceremonies and experiences of the queer body as both originator and reciprocal of action, speech, and other modes of communication. His creative writing processes utilize the mythological and historic witchcraft to create fiction sets with a contemporary setting which propose reflection, introspection, and methods of addressing anxieties of present day. It's me. Nice. <laughs> Welcome. Thank you for being here, Kevin. Thank you. Yes, we're excited to have you. Yeah. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Yay. So to get us started, what identities do you feel most influence your experiences? Which identities? Ones that I have or mm-hmm. kind of like in general? Yeah. Um, which of your identities do you feel most influence your experiences? Cool. Yeah. So obviously queer obviously queer really captures a lot of my experiences in the world black definitely motivates me a lot when i'm thinking about myself and other people and experiences american american really it, it's a i it's an identity that really makes me think about like my privilege and really makes me think about um, what other people have and also what they don't have and what I have and what I don't have and expectations. Mm-hmm. So being American is an identity that I have to, that I take for granted sometimes and that I have to remind myself of. Um, I identify as a I identify somewhere in between cis man and genderqueer mm-hmm. because I was assigned male at birth, but I don't really have anything. I'm not like <laughs> beholden to it, but I'm not like, oh, I'm not that. So, <laughs> you know, like I have this moment where I'm like, sure, yeah, I'm a boy. Mm-hmm. But then saying, sure, yeah, I'm a boy means that I have to think about all of the things I have Mm -hmm. as a boy and as people see me as a boy and when they see my name on paper they Mm -hmm. treat me like a boy Um, Mm -hmm. but also like sorry listeners but you don't get to see me but looking at me it's like Mm -hmm. this is not what boys are expected to always look like Mm -hmm. and so at the same time that I'm like sure yeah I'm a boy I'm also like I'm a very particular looking boy, and I have to also think about how I occupy space. 
those are the first ones that come to mind, but mostly because that's yeah. what my work is about. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Let's go with those. Sounds let's go good. With those. And I imagine oh. that influences like how you move through the world, and then like also your work as well. You were yes. saying so. I'd love to hear a little bit about your work. I know yes. a lot of your bio is about that, so yeah, I'd love to love hear it. about your art. Okay. Um, I forgot one identity, which is also super important. Um, it's my kind of like spiritual identity. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'll talk about this more in my story, of course. Um, but there's a lot of stuff about witchcraft and about ritual mm-hmm. that's really important to my identity. And most people who know me personally know that about me. Um, so yeah, there's also that one too. Sorry. <laughs> um, but to, uh, could you repeat your question? Sorry. <laughs> tell us about your art. I'll tell you about my art. <laughs> um, yes. Very general so, question. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> what comes to mind when I say your art? Yes. So first and foremost, my artistic practice is about, it's rooted in dance and mm. in performance. Um, and, I'm an interdisciplinary artist, which means that I use multiple medias. I am a mixed media artist, as they call us. So occasionally when I'm dabbling in other art styles, like I'm kind of a jack of all trade, master of none. And sometimes I'll do line drawing, like I make the posters that I use for my to publicize my performances. So sometimes I do line drawing, sometimes I do sculpture um, to make props for my performances but at the core all of that comes back to I'm a performance artist um, and I'm a movement-based performance artist and the visuals are important to that so my art as a physical practice is a lot about movement and about communicating identity stuff um, and more than just words um, because I wasn't always a performance artist um, I got my master's degree in art history, which means that I'm always writing and talking. So ironically, my performance art practice is not anything about (laughs) communication through words. Um, Or maybe because of my Mm -hmm. art history practice, it's not about communication through words. So I like to use movement as a way to convey things to people. Um, that I'm also conveying to them through my written work. Um, I also write fiction, and so um, some of that is a little bit autobiographical. Um, I think everything is autobiographical when you're an artist because Mm -hmm. you can't know anybody else's experience but your own. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think a lot of people can find stuff about authors in just what they've written because... They can't pretend to be somebody else. Mm-hmm. Um, even when you're pretending to be somebody else, you're still shaped by what it is about you that you know. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, my art is writing. My art is movement. Um, it's non-vocalized things. So that's why I'm kind of like, I'm interdisciplinary. Yeah. You know, I dabble in it all. Nice. I love Thank it. you. I want to know more about your master's degree, because I didn't know you had one. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. So um, I went to the Art Institute of Chicago for my master's degree in art history, um, and it's in modern and contemporary art mm-hmm. history. So that means that I look at basically everything 
before and after World War One, so like the 1800s to today. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a lot. That's a lot. Yeah. <laughs> um, that's 200 years of art and history, mm-hmm. and you know, very complicated political drama. Mm-hmm. <laughs> never ending. <laughs> never ending. There's always something <laughs> to look at. Um, so. My favorite stuff to look at is performance art mm. and photography, mm. but I've been on a real surrealism kick lately. Mm. Um, I love surrealism. Like before I got on my surrealism kick, mm-hmm. I was interested in the themes of surrealism. Mm. And so I was just like, oh, just look at some of this weird looking stuff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and then I was like, Kevin, you know what that's called. It's called surrealism. Mm-hmm. Just go get the books on surrealism <laughs> and you'll see it. <laughs> so yeah uh surrealism is just like really uncanny stuff mm-hmm. that's again about lived experience mm-hmm. but also outside of the conscious mind so us in this space you know we can see the stuff around us mm-hmm. um but then there's a subconscious us who's looking at things and seeing something else that we in our waking lives don't see. Mm. Um, so yeah, just, it kind of fits in with everything. Weird, mm. magical mm. realism and everything. So the degree was great. Um, mostly got it because of work. Mm. Um, when you are interested in the arts and in art history, um, even if you are good at what you do, you have to have uh, an advanced degree. Mm. Um, yeah. So... I enjoyed getting the degree, even though I know it was based in propelling myself in a job market. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it has, it's opened a lot of doors for me. And I am very proud to say that I worked the master's degree as more than just like a Mm -hmm. key to jobs, Mm -hmm. um, which is how I got where I am with my performance art. I didn't become a performance artist like explicitly until I was getting this degree. So Mm. yeah, the journey to getting the degree really like opened up a lot of doors for me and opened up a lot of stuff that to be honest, I kind of was compartmentalizing Mm -hmm. before I got to this kind of like get this degree journey Mm -hmm. and then became like, you know that they're connected, but once you're thinking about them as a practice, you realize, oh, wait, that's so much more connected and I don't have to compartmentalize it. Like, you know, the question about the identities I have, you see ways that they're interconnected, like dancing and blackness go hand in hand. Mm -hmm. And then you realize that dancing and queerness go hand in hand. And then it's queer black dancing. Mm -hmm. And then it's queer black witches dancing. (laughs) So it's like, in ways that you're like, I know that this is all parts of me. Mm -hmm. This journey to the art history degree, I was like, oh, I can let those exist together. Mm -hmm. I don't have to think about them as parts of me that are just parts Mm -hmm. they're very much more holistic than that yeah i love that i like that i never really thought about that like as you're speaking of it i'm just sitting here like oh you're right oh oh my god you're right (laughs) (laughs) 
Yeah. <laughs> I think that's what like keeps a lot of people back that like, they separate themselves mm-hmm. or separate their identities and not understanding that you can be this whole being mm-hmm. and like when right. you accept that you are all of these things in one you can like do anything yes mm-hmm. yes that's what my performance has been so much about mm-hmm. so yeah 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 <laughs> as you were talking it made me wonder too like you said all these identities intersect within you and then in your art so mm-hmm. where are some places or some people where you've found inspiration as well through mm-hmm. your work or that uh-huh. has influenced your work yeah so I can start with music because it's something that's been on my mind a lot lately. I love... There's going to be some obvious ones to people who know me, and I'm not going to start with one of those. (laughs) Throw them off first. (laughs) Yeah, I'm going to throw you a loop first. Um, I'm FKA Twigs. She is um, just divine. She's Mm -hmm. magical. Um, (laughs) just uncanny and her practice is a lot about vulnerability mm-hmm. and about like intersecting identities and I really like that about her she's very magical very magical and I guess I find a lot of inspiration in like in queerness I find a lot of inspiration in Prince even though he wasn't a queer person like he didn't mm-hmm. identify that way but a lot of his performative work was saying that yes you're this gender but that doesn't mm-hmm. mean that you're all going to perform that gender the same way mm-hmm. you For know sure. so when you're a queer person and he was just that out there Mm -hmm. it doesn't really matter that he wasn't queer because you look at him and you go this is what we're trying to show people (laughs) Mm -hmm. that you might be a cisgender man Mm -hmm. but maybe you're gonna bop around in lingerie Mm -hmm. you know like and if you're okay with that everybody else needs to be okay with that too Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. so in him you find a lot of that especially young prince because he was just being bold Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. he was being what he wanted to be um and of course there was also some like you know bumping it up a little bit Mm -hmm. for the publicity and everything Mm -hmm. who doesn't who doesn't like attention Mm -hmm. um but you know you get a lot of that in prince and i think that he's a great figure to look at um in terms of what queerness can look like Mm -hmm. um especially when you're not a queer person i am going to skip britney spears because otherwise (sighs) she's a spoiler (laughs) (laughs) and i do love her i love her so much um i think a lot of what she does i'm not gonna skip her just kidding Uh, (laughs) a lot of what especially young britney spears um was doing was she I listened to a lot of Britney Spears interviews and she caught a lot of flack for being too sexual Mm -hmm. um, especially when she was like 17, 18, 19 Mm -hmm. years old and people were like your fans are mostly young girls like shouldn't you be a role model Mm -hmm. and she's like I'm not a role model 
I'm doing what I want to do. Mm -hmm. I'm doing what makes me feel good. Mm -hmm. And if the kids' parents don't like that, they can turn me off the TV, you know? (laughs) Like, which is important. That's Mm -hmm. important for us to remember. It's like, Mm -hmm. yeah, we can be role models, but that shouldn't be the first way that we live our lives, Mm -hmm. you know? And maybe young girls and some young boys like myself, Mm -hmm. their parents don't want them watching that. But I think there's a lot of things that people could learn from Britney Spears beyond like that kind of puritanical fear Mm -hmm. of she's too sexy. Why is her stomach showing on TV? And it's like, (laughs) if that's all you've got from seeing Britney Spears on Mm -hmm. the TV, Mm -hmm. then you're kind of missing the point. You're, you're playing into exactly what the point is, Mm -hmm. is that, Mm -hmm. that somehow that girl, that then girl, now a woman's experience doesn't matter because she's showing her stomach. Mm -hmm. Like, Mm -hmm. and so that's why I really like her. A lot of people ask me, she's kind of vapid she's kind of shallow i can't believe you like her because apparently i'm super complex (laughs) (laughs) but i'm like well if you look at the way she was treated on a national level Mm -hmm. you'll understand why it is so important to look at that woman as a figure Mm -hmm. just to look at her not only as a human being of course but look at what happened to her while she was coming into her stardom. Mm-hmm. So for all of the Britney Spears haters out there, there is <laughs> like, there is so much discourse on Britney Spears to have. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a set of friends who are over one night um, and they learned that I like Britney Spears. And I think I might have ruined her for them because I got into <laughs> this whole talk about like, like, look how empowered she looks. And then she had this breakdown. And now everybody in her life is like concealing her in the same image. Mm-hmm. And they were like, I've never seen this before. And it was really weird. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, you should all be thinking about how Britney Spears is being treated today mm-hmm. so, feel bad for britney yes, like, <laughs> she made our childhoods and now like mm. there's a whole thing so <laughs> another podcast <laughs> next episode <laughs> nice. those are great examples mm-hmm. and so my mom was a huge prince fan uh-huh. so that one like resonates with me a lot too because then I didn't know how much it meant, but now looking back as a queer person, Mm -hmm. seeing like a cis heterosexual man pushing the boundaries of gender expression and the ways he did and still being praised and Mm -hmm. looked up to and so phenomenal in his art is so important. Like you said, like whether he identified as queer or not was kind of irrelevant because he he didn't care. He was like, I'm pushing these boundaries. You don't have to like it. This is yeah. me. This is how I'm going to perform. And this is who I am. Mm-hmm. And that's just so important. Yeah. And I feel like in some ways, like it can be taken for granted mm-hmm. at times. And it's important to note those people, even if they're not necessarily part of the community in mm-hmm. that way, they still made strides for the community regardless. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah. they, even though they weren't parts of the community, they still like, give us an anchor in Mm -hmm. a lot of ways Mm -hmm. because before now like there were images and there were representations of queerness throughout history of Mm -hmm. course 
but often it really helps to see people who are alive when you are alive yeah. and you know hey like that's super close to me mm-hmm. like I, it doesn't have to be a 200 year old model that i have to yeah like formulate my selfhood off of mm-hmm. like if i need help really figuring out who i am as a person i can look at something closer and that's mm-hmm. why people like prince mm-hmm. really are important because you go wow that human was doing that in the 80s mm-hmm. i was born in the 90s he was alive until just very recently mm-hmm. and his like his career and his artistry were massive mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and it helps me it helps other people to really just feel like they have something that mm-hmm. can ground them yeah so, yeah Spot on, spot on, I love it. <laughs> Yeah, so important. Mm-hmm. Feel like I have so many more questions, but yeah. we're like at the time where it's time for your story. Okay, so let's save them for after. Yeah. So let's hear what you have for us today. I'm excited to hear your story. Okay. Yeah, I'm super excited. <laughs> All right. The sound of wind blowing through the school of the Art Institute of Chicago's ballroom was our only cue to start. Accompanied by my dancers, Freddie and Ethan, I descended the staircase connecting the ballroom's balcony and the main floor where 50-some attendees awaited us. At the time, it was the biggest audience I'd ever performed for, and I was thrilled to see them waiting to see a project I had been planning for months. Seven months, to be precise. It took me seven months to plan out, fund, and execute my first performance art piece. Less than a year before, nearly two years ago now, I had no idea that so many aspects of my life would collide. I've been dancing since I was 14, right around the time I fell in love with Britney Spears, whose choreographies I practiced religiously, and who I saw a lot of my own predispositions for kindness sex appeal, and passion for dancing. I've known I was gay and part of the queer community, or at least could put a name to that feeling that I'd had since the ripe age of eight years old, when in the dead of night I stumbled upon my first gay movie, But I'm a Cheerleader, a movie that still fascinates me to this day. I'd been practicing witchcraft since I was six, the year my grandmother showed me a book of witchcraft, after realizing how much impact Charmed had had on me in 1998. And I've been black since the day I was born. Queer Heretics, Witches Sabbath, the performance art piece that functioned as part of my master's thesis in modern and contemporary art history, was nearly everything I was, I was performed for this audience. The lights in the ballroom were dimmed, save for the warm illumination shining down upon us three. The audience drew closer to us from their seats and encircled the dance floor as Freddie, Ethan, and I proceeded toward them. Our matching black and gold costumes reflected the warm light shining down on us as pink glitter tulle skirts we wore twinkled at our bare midriffs and thighs. As the audience walked in a procession from the other side of the ballroom, I led Ethan to the top right corner of the dance floor and Freddie to the left. The two reclined and watched the audience, and the audience watched me 
as I began our queer heretics ritual. The stage was set with all of the ritual tools I utilized in the performance. Two glass apothecary jars filled with purple, red, and pink flower petals, three pots of glitter, and four sticks of body chalk. With the body chalk, I drew a symbol made of the words queer and heretics broken into its individual letters and arranged into an image on Freddy's arms. Then I anointed him with white glitter at the forehead and beneath both eyes, the two major sites of power, the mind, and intuition in the human body. Taking one of the jars, I drew the same symbol on the dance floor in front of him with purple and red petals. I replicated this with Ethan as the sounds of nature and ambient music continued to wash over us. Down both Ethan's arms, I drew the same sigil with chalk and anointed his face with black glitter and drew the symbol beside him with the jar of pink and red petals. And lastly, there was me. I anointed my own face with three points of pink glitter and time melted away. The audience melted away with it. For just a moment, there was only Freddy, Ethan, and myself. Three petitioners to the spirit of queerness, to our ancestors, and to ourselves. Taking Freddy's hand, I lifted him to stand and led him to stand atop his flower sigil and cross to Ethan to lead him to his own. In Vodun and some other spiritual practices of people from the African diaspora, we can communicate with and draw into our bodies higher spirits by standing on these symbols. Connection to these spirits bestow upon us the power to bless ourselves and others or give us insight into the future. In this ritual, we would connect to a shared spirit of queerness and heresy and draw into ourselves the power of resistance and revolution. Standing between them, I lowered my eyes, and the sound of wind, waves, and instrument was replaced with a song that I'd encountered by total chance right around the time I began planning this piece, but one that perfectly embodied the mood I sought to evoke, Human, by Sev Deliza. The song begins with mystical and eldritch sounds that set the mood of the trance work we were performing. As the music echoed within this space, Freddie and Ethan writhed in place, symbolically allowing the spirit of queer her heresy to fill them and cast out the violent and restrictive energy that worked to keep us, the descendants of our ancestral diasporas, bound. As the first beat of the song dropped and Sevdalisa's voice swelled, Freddie and Ethan's trances were broken, and together we traveled across the dance floor, our bodies moving toward the audience that encircled us. We practiced this dance for four months. With the help of Stevie, an amazing black woman, and another friend I made through this process, I was able to work through choreographing exactly the narrative I'd constructed. And I'd enlisted Freddie and Ethan the second we were back in school after winter break of that year. I knew they were perfect for the role of two queer witches of color, initiated by a coven leader seeking to reclaim ties to magic, to sexuality, to our heritages. According to the European myth of the witches' Sabbath, witches, people who were rejected by their communities, gathered to learn unsanctioned knowledge. Led by a high priest who functioned as the representative of the devil on earth, 
these disciples of an evil god were viewed as dangerous to the Christian to the Christian state. In nearly all depictions of this enemy god, Lucifer, Satan, or the devil, he is described by artists and writers who then were only white men as a black man. And the native spiritual practices of people with black skin and other enslaved peoples worldwide were rewritten as devil worshiping. Our magic was made illegal, our spirits turned to demons, our souls so-called saved. So at this witch's Sabbath I had planned, I eagerly took on their role of the black devil, guiding Freddy, another black man, and Ethan, an Asian American man, in the ways they could connect with spirituality that had been stolen from us and literally demonized. As we danced toward our audience, I led them in this ritual of heresy. Our bodies responded to not only the sounds of the song, but to the music's lyrics like a spell. As Sevdeliza sang, I breathe in and out. We breathed in each other's spirit and breathed out colonial violence. But as a performance of the intricacy of being, our dance had to be about more than just instruction and mimicry. It was also about autonomy and individuality, two of the core principles of witchcraft. So as we moved, Freddie and Ethan danced with an increasing amount of asymmetry as they moved away from me and toward the audience. Whereas before we danced in ways that only mirrored each other, we came together in a closed circle, embracing each other as an invitation to commune in mind, body, and spirit. Here, we symbolically moved beyond my instruction of them and toward their autonomous implementation of the queer spirit and mysteries that we have invoked. In the rising climax of the dance, I collapsed in a state of ecstasy. As Ethan reached to join me in the throw of sensuality that had overtaken me, Freddie too fully embraced the queer spirit that possessed us. They lifted me from the floor, and we came together to travel back to our starting position where our ritual began, on those flower petal sigils, moving through the space in a winding circle back to start. The penultimate moment of the dance marked the final climax of our invocation of the queer spirit, of a spirit of solidarity. The final sounds of the music twinkled, and in this moment, we were wholly united by magic. Together, we embraced in the song's final moments, celebrating both our bodies and the acknowledgement that we were denying the culture beliefs that work to keep us separate and disempowered. We celebrated our embrace of the spirit flourishing within us and hopefully around us. I've performed this piece twice since then, once alone and just last week with Freddie at an art show he co-organized perfectly titled Don't Be Scared, Pathways to Liberation and focused on Afrofuturism. When Freddie asked if he and I could perform Witches' Sabbath at a show aimed at representing how people of the African diaspora use art to envision the future through Black cultural lenses, I agreed without hesitation. Don't Be Scared was curated in the same spirit that Witches' Sabbath was, so in my eyes it was the perfect venue to re-perform the ritual. Little did I know it would impact me in the same way. Two years ago, I was proud of the way Ethan, Freddie, and I captivated our audience that first time, and more importantly, of the way they responded. Not merely congratulatory, 
but even better, moved. They told us more than just how great we looked out there. They told us that it was exactly what they needed in their souls. They said the same thing today at Don't Be Scared. To know that this ritual could touch people this way to this day continues to inspire me. Freddie and I joke that we'll know this choreography to this dance forever, and that in 30 years we'll be able to perform it just as easily as we did that first time. And I believe him, because that's what magic can do. That's what art can do. They can unite us. They can unify us. In all ways, mind, body, and spirit. I hope to have the opportunity to to keep performing this ritual, hopefully with Freddie and Ethan, as they will always be a part of this experience. They will always be friends I have united with in spirit through dance, through ritual, through magic. I hope to have the opportunity to perform with different dancers too, ones who believe in the magic and the spirit of connectivity and affinity that this ritual, this art, symbolizes. I got the chance to share so much of myself and the reality I made that night, and I hope that this is a beginning without end, that my body can perform what I am in spirit, that my spirit can reach out to others and move them through my body, and I hope to share it with new audiences who believe in the power of art, dance, festivity, and celebration as ways to fight oppression and create new cultural realities. That's beautiful. Thank, Thank you, Kevin. You. Thank you. Thanks. I was like totally zoned out as you were telling your story, not because I wasn't listening, because I was really entranced. <laughs> That's how it felt, right? Yeah. Like I was like picturing like, at one point, the performance just, like, as you described like, it. Oh my gosh, it sounds like amazing. Thank you, guys. <laughs> Thanks. I love it. There's so many pieces. Yeah. Where to start? I don't know. I'm like still thinking about it. I'm like thinking about, you know, I just watched Black Swan recently mm-hmm. and like I watched it in its entirety. And all I'm thinking about as you're telling your story and as your performance is like you are center stage, like all the lights are black and you're just like mm-hmm. into it. And everyone's like, oh my God, look at this amazing person. Like, look at how beautiful the performance oh, is. Man. Like, that's all I'm thinking about. I'm like, I wish you could see this. I want to see you perform. When are you performing it again? Shameless. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I feel like I have this image in my head and I. I I'm sure to be there live and watch it. Yeah, definitely the next time I do it, you guys got to yes. be there. Yes. yes I'm going to try to find an, uh, another place to perform it. So, Where do you usually perform? So I perform in like, various spaces. Um, this show was at a gallery. Mm-hmm. Um, Freddie curated this. Freddie and some other folks that um, he's connected with curated this whole show at Hairpin, which Mm -hmm. is a gallery in Logan Square. Um, So that's where I performed it this time. Um, The last time I did it was um, for a show called A Cult of the... or Bazaar of the Occult. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's a kind of like marketplace. um, And this was around Halloween. So kind of like good Mm -hmm. season to do a dance about witches at. Mm -hmm. Um, And then the first time I did it at SASD, Mm -hmm. like I said, so I perform in all types of spaces. I actually have a show coming up in August um, at Roman Susan Gallery. Not this one, but another dance piece I'm doing. So, yeah, I generally I love performing anywhere. Um, yeah. I It's it's really a big part of me. Mm-hmm. So I yeah. perform wherever there's a 
there's a good turnout where there's a good audience um in good spaces like mm-hmm. good feeling spaces mm-hmm. yeah. so that's my that's my short mm-hmm. answer good okay. feeling spaces okay how long does it usually take you to like curate a performance um so this one witches sabbath so witches sabbath was big mm-hmm. it was um the dance itself was about four no the dance itself with like the flower petals and all of that like ritual stuff was like 15 minutes long Mm -hmm. um but the event itself was three hours Mm -hmm. because it was also in the myth of the witch's sabbath it's like witches come from all over the world Mm -hmm. they gather on a mountain or in the woods and they eat and they dance and they do some carnal stuff Mm -hmm. um and summon satan and all of this stuff so i was like i'm gonna replicate that Mm -hmm. like this is gonna be an event about people from all different cultural backgrounds Mm -hmm. specifically marginalized cultural backgrounds coming together for this like ritual moment but then just to like sit and eat food together Mm -hmm. and like dance together and just enjoy space um because at its heart which is sabbath was about resisting colonialism and celebrating marginalized um, backgrounds mm-hmm. and the ways that they continue to resist colonialism. And dance is one of those biggest practices. Mm-hmm. Like ball culture was a lot about dancing because you weren't part of the culture that mm-hmm. you were in the middle of. Mm-hmm. So that one took like seven months. Um The one I'm doing in August, which is called Original Sin, it's kind of like a predecessor to Witch's Sabbath. Mm. This one's also taking like a few months. Um, I performed it one other time and I think it took me, I gave myself about six months to design all of the pieces of that. Mm. Um, And now it's it's being done in a really different space than it was the first time. Mm -hmm. The first time I did it as an apartment gallery show. Um, where we all had a room and I had a bedroom with a bed in it. Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot of the performative parts were done around that bed. Mm-hmm. And now I'm doing it in a gallery space, which is generally going to be mm-hmm. empty. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to be establishing the kind of like points of the setting points of intrigue. So now I'm kind of having to like reinvent setting aspects of that Mm -hmm. piece so giving it a few months so it takes a while it takes a bit of time yeah yeah art is art takes a lot (laughs) and i love how that example also and sounds like the one you're talking about really is a good example of that mixed media Mm -hmm. that you were describing for Mm -hmm. us and how you incorporate all those different pieces into the performance of that thank you so I want you to talk more about Britney Spears. Okay. <laughs> yes. Like, I'd love I to. I'd love to. <laughs> Tell me more. Also, I want to know more about your grandmother giving yes. you Yeah, that book stood out a lot. Because you didn't elaborate on that. Yes. Mm-hmm. I want to know okay. how, like, that shaped your whole, like, witchery lifestyle. Yes. Right. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So Britney Spears and witches, go. Okay. So let's start with Britney Spears. Okay. Um, in addition, okay, so in addition to like my performance art stuff, mm-hmm. I'm also like a nighttime performer. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and I, <laughs> I perform under this, um, to separate my performance art from my like nightlife performing, mm-hmm. um, I perform, I performance art as Kevin White near Jr. Mm-hmm. I nightlife perform as Sacrilicious. Oh, um, because that. there's like this, <laughs> there's like this, That's um, so great. like sensuality, mm-hmm. but also this like, like religious aspects where mm-hmm. it's like, oh, you shouldn't be doing that, but I like that you're doing that. Yeah. Um, so when I'm performing in that aspect, I'll do songs like Slave for You, um, which is where those religiously mm-hmm. practicing those choreographies come in. Mm-hmm. Um, and so Britney Spears is truly who inspired me to start dancing Mm -hmm. um i came to britney spears late in the game which is going (laughs) to shock a lot of people who knew who know me because you know most people know her in the 90s um i did not become a britney spears fan until 2007 which Mm -hmm. is when when her whole like breakdown happened exactly (laughs) um so the first moment that I became hooked, I can tell you where I was. I was in the car driving home with my dad mm-hmm. and Gimme More came on for the first time on the radio. And I was like, who is this? <laughs> hooked. And like anyone asking, who is this to Gimme More? Like that's mind blowing to people today. Uh-huh. And so like, my dad was flicking through the station, so I missed, it's Britney, bitch, mm-hmm. you know? And so I didn't know who it was while the song was on, and I was like, I got to hear the song again. I've got to hear it. <laughs> and then I popped it onto YouTube mm-hmm. back in 2007, <laughs> and I was like, that's it. I'm, I'm hooked. And then her Blackout, the album that Gimme More is from, mm-hmm. came out like a couple weeks later. And I listened to that album, and... Next thing you know, I was in my bedroom, <laughs> like practicing the choreography to Slay for You, um, which I can do on the spot today. I can <laughs> I do it. it in like you can put on any part of the song and I'll know where to pick up the choreography. Um, I want to see a performance. God, yes. The next time the next time I'm out doing something, I'm going to invite you guys. You got to come. But yeah, you know, Britney Spears, she really inspired me to learn to dance right after that. I was in high school at the time. And when I was 15 or 16 or something, my librarian um at my high school who I mm. love to this day she was also the dance teacher and I took her dance class and okay. I like credit Britney Spears and my high school librarian to really motivating me to dance so yeah that's okay so that's my Britney Spears thing and if anyone ever wants to know like anything about Britney Spears I'm pretty sure I know. I think I know net 97% of facts about Britney Spears. Um, and I can put nice. that to a number um, because one of my friends, um, there's a Britney Spears night every month at Roscoe's, which is in Boys Town. And when one of my friends uh, met my boyfriend, he, <laughs> he goes, so I'm a Britney Spears fan. I'd say I know like... 
sixty percent of stuff about Britney Spears. Mm-hmm. Kevin knows everything. <laughs> you might trip him up on like one or two things, mm-hmm. but he knows ninety-seven percent of facts <laughs> about Britney Spears. And I was like, put that on yeah, your resume. I could. I could. <laughs> You're an art historian and a Britney historian. Yes, <laughs> without question. Um, maybe so. Shameless plug. Um, I have written two articles about Prince that are published, mm-hmm. and I think that I'm gonna have to like branch out. Yep, branch out right into go. Britney Spears. Some Britney Spears um, stuff. Yes, legacy so. of Britney. Yes, saga of Britney. <laughs> you Britney ever perform Prince as well? You stick to Britney. at karaoke. I perform there a lot of go. Prince at karaoke. <laughs> um, I cannot sing very well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I can hold a note. Okay. I can get by, but I'm not like. I'm not, you know, singing Mariah Carey at yeah. karaoke and being like, I did that. <laughs> I did um, that. Um, but yeah, when I'm at karaoke, I do Prince. I don't do Prince as like nightlife performance mm-hmm. because it takes a lot to like choreograph stuff. Mm-hmm. And like I've choreographed dances. I've choreographed a dance to FK Twigs, a couple of her songs. Mm-hmm. Um, I've choreographed a a belly dance routine, I've choreographed like Latin dance routines, but when you're dancing to like, you know, something that's ingrained in people's cultural memory, Mm -hmm. they're expecting you to turn the party. Mm -hmm. Now I can turn a party, (laughs) but you know, you have to be like, you have to be ready for that. Like they want iconic moves from Mm -hmm. iconic figures. Mm -hmm. That's why I know every Britney Spears choreography Mm -hmm. that I dance out there. Cause I'm like, you're going to get it. You're going to see this choreography. Mm -hmm. You're going to be gagged. (laughs) Love it. Yes. So witches. Yes. Grandma witches. Yes. Yes, I want to hear all about your grandma witch. (laughs) Yes. So my grandmother is my favorite person on earth. She mm-hmm. is probably my favorite human being ever. She is a devout Catholic, but she is, if anybody, I if I had to recommend anybody to be deified, I would say it would be my grandmother. Um, because like she once told me this story where she was at church and a new person came and my grandmother's been at the same church since before I was alive. And it was a trans person. Um, the person who came in, who came in, I think was a trans woman. And some, some of the members were, mm-hmm. you know, obviously not friendly and said, said some shady stuff behind this person's back. Mm-hmm. And my grandmother, I'm not the only gay person in my family and this family member who said this shady comment has a lesbian daughter and post shady comment, grandma comes in and she says, I don't ever want to hear you say that about another person who comes in here again. That woman is welcome here whenever mm-hmm. she comes and you should really rethink that because you have a daughter who's a lesbian. And mm-hmm. I was like... Scout. This is why it's just snatched. <laughs> like it's amazing. Like my grandmother is one of the most wonderful people I've ever met, and she is so open-minded. And she, a lot of her motto is, "Live your life." You know, it's yours. You're only getting one of it. Be kind to people, but remember, it's your life first. Mm-hmm. And 
Charmed came out in 1998. I was like six years old and I started watching it and I was already obsessed with like Greek mythology. You know the meme. Mm-hmm. If you're, if you like Greek mythology when you're a kid, you're gay now. Um, <laughs> I can vouch for that. Facts. That's fact. <laughs> Verified. Yes. Stamp of approval. <laughs> um, so I was like obsessed with mythology, obsessed with anything magical and Charmed came out. So it was different than like movies. It was mm-hmm. The Craft came out just before that mm-hmm. and Practical Magic came out just before that. But those mm-hmm. were movies. Mm-hmm. So you saw them or you didn't. Right. This wasn't the Netflix era. Mm-hmm. Um, but Charmed was like every week. Right. And so I watched it and I was like, this is so cool. And on Charmed in those first few seasons, they really rooted it in Wicca. Mm-hmm. And so... I read a lot when I was a kid and I was like, wait, Wicca is a real religion. And my grandmother came in and she was like, oh, yeah, I have this book. And it was like in the 90s, every author who was trying to catch a penny was like yes. writing a book about magic. Yes, I remember um, that. And it's like self-help wrapped right. up in like ritual practice. Forget what mm-hmm. you want by doing these spells. Right, exactly. It's like, yeah, they just yes. like commercialized it. Yes, mm-hmm. so it was yeah. super commercialized in the 90s. Um, mm-hmm. And she gave me this book and that's what started it all. Like, but then after that, like, I went beyond the Wicca self-help mm-hmm. and it really is like what was the foundation of me study- studying like anthropology. So mm-hmm. I study religious and ritual and spiritual anthropology um, in addition to like gender and queer anthropology. And that was really the foundation of me discovering other spiritualities. Mm-hmm. Um, and she like supplied the demand she like subscribed to books for me and so i learned so much about magic and spiritual practices Mm -hmm. when before i was like 10 wow and it was amazing Mm -hmm. it was mind-blowing and to this day like i still have stuff that she subscribed to for me when i was in grade school and these were like things targeted at Mm grown-ups and I look back and I was like, whose grandmother was doing this for them? <laughs> Especially um, whose Catholic grandmother yes, would do that. Exactly. Yeah. And she, yeah, she just really, wow. she watered, she helped plant that seed. She mm-hmm. watered it, mm-hmm. tended to it. And like, not to like pat myself on the back, but I know a lot about witchcraft and magic and the occult because I take it very seriously. Mm-hmm. And I've been studying it for like... I don't how old am I 25 26 it's been like mm-hmm. 20 years mm-hmm. so yeah like that was yeah. really the foundation so she's always got my heart wow mm-hmm. that's just so unique because most especially like when you think of that generation mm-hmm. right and to be like a catholic grandmother seeing this really young boy having this interest I feel like we always hear those stories of that go-to is to just like extinguish that. That needs to yeah. go away. This is scary. This is bad. And it sounds like she's the type of person who just wants to like flourish whatever brings you joy. Yes. Yeah. I love that, that is her to a T. Like, That's amazing. The exact narrative that you're talking about is what my parents tried to do, who are mm. obviously younger than my grandmother. Mm. Right. And I would like, when I look back, I'm always like, 
wow, how are you guys more restrictive than someone who's like 40 years your senior? Mm -hmm. And raised Um, you, right? And raised me, right. Yeah, like, (laughs) you know, they were like, you know, you can't watch Charmed. You can't watch Buffy anymore. You take it too seriously. Um, Uh So so, did she sneak you stuff? Yes. She's like, let me sneak you this book? Yes. She would like sneak. She's like, listen, you're not hurting anybody. If you are happy, just keep reading it. Just don't tell them. And I was like, cool. I love that. Yeah. So... (laughs) Grandmas, grandmas can really be the best. Yeah. Like there is an opportunity. And I, I know that there are people out there with crummy grandparents Mm. and it hurts me because I have Mm. such a good, like I have such great grandparents, both of them. Mm -hmm. Um, and they can really like shape someone and really Mm. just be there. Yeah. So I love grandparents. It's good grandparents. I love love them. Love them. Mm hmm. Well, I'm glad Grandma's the homie. Yeah. (laughs) I'll call her up if I need anything. Yes. (laughs) You sent me. Yes, she would she would be there for you in a heartbeat. Like not not even a question. No question. Yeah. I love that. So wholesome. (laughs) I have so many more things. Do you have anything? I do, but I don't know how to form the question. It's like it's based off of your performance and art. And so I just I'm I think you've already asked this, asked this, but I have you mentioned how like your you I think you have mentioned like how your like occult and like the witchery and like mm-hmm. all of this plays into your performance art. Like when did yeah. that? Yes, when did this um interest and like witches and the occult and Wicca go towards performance art, and how did yes. you combine the two? Yes. So, getting my degree was the moment where I could put it into words Mm -hmm. like before it was kind of a a internal just like natural thing that you know you really don't have to explain to anybody Mm -hmm. so I decided um when you're in a master's program at least at SAIC they have a class for thesis development and Mm -hmm. they say you need to put down an idea. We can talk about your idea. We'll walk through all of this stuff, make sure that this like gets fleshed out and you can get your degree, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. So all while I was there for the two year, it's a two year program. So right before that, that year, I was like jotting down ideas. I was like, okay, what am I going to talk about in my thesis? Blah, blah, blah. So then it was during that thesis session that I was like, oh, I know tons of stuff about witches Mm -hmm. and I know tons of stuff about queerness. And this was right before, like, I kind of have a moment of joy, like being ahead of this trend a little bit. (laughs) This was before the trend was happening where everybody was talking about queerness and witchcraft. Uh And so when I was doing this thesis, imagine there were no articles about it. Mm -hmm. Like now you see an article like every week. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) This was like, I had no bibliography for this. Mm -hmm. Like imagine that. And so I was like, okay. I can do this. Mm-hmm. This I know what I'm doing. But the problem is that there weren't very many artists doing this. Mm-hmm. There's a few, a couple um, white queer guys, A.A. Um, a. Bronson, some other people who were doing art about like shamanism, which I'm a little hesitant to repeat because it's weird mm-hmm. to call like white mm-hmm. European, mm-hmm. Western European 
practices shamanism because right. that's how you refer to Native American mm-hmm. practices and indigenous practices. Right. I'm getting sidelined. Um, but there were a few people doing this, but not that, not very many. But I wanted to talk about how witchcraft is this like field of empowerment mm-hmm. for marginalized people. Mm-hmm. And I wanted that mm-hmm. to be more than just like just queer people as if there was no intersection. So mm-hmm. I was like, mm-hmm. all marginalized people gain something from this like archetype of witches, mm-hmm. like people who have been put on the edges of society all can relate to the witch because there's parts of them that are being demonized very many times literally demonized mm-hmm. as in they view that as the impact of negative spirits mm-hmm. um and that's what witches are understood as historically mm-hmm. before the like white mm-hmm. witches movement and so i was like okay there are no artists doing this how am i going to write an art history paper and my thesis advisor threw around some ideas and then i was like you know what I'm going to do it. I am going to do my own performance that is rooted in this idea mm-hmm. of queerness, anti-colonialism, and witchcraft. And the reason why those three things wrap up so nicely together mm-hmm. is because when... I'm okay. History lesson, guys. When witchcraft accusations were happening uh-huh. in like the 17th century... They were happening in Europe. Mm -hmm. They were happening predominantly. They were predominantly happening to European people. Mm -hmm. When people started colonizing the world, when Europeans started colonizing the world and encountering African peoples, Native Americans, etc., Asian folks um, all around the world, their indigenous practices were Mm non-Christian. And so there's Mm -hmm. only two values in christian europe at the time Mm -hmm. christian Mm -hmm. non christian Mm -hmm. and even then like even in the christian part there were schisms where if you weren't the right type of christian you were a heretic Mm -hmm. or you were a witch Mm -hmm. so the beliefs of indigenous people and peoples of africa when they were enslaved and brought to north america european colonizers kept tried to instill fear of each other of Mm -hmm. african and native american peoples in each other so that they couldn't like come together and overthrow Mm -hmm. the colonial population because there were more of them they enslaved millions of people Mm -hmm. and they had only brought over like a couple thousand to populate these colonies Mm -hmm. from europe Mm -hmm. and so all of those african um specifically yoruba practices were labeled as witchcraft Mm -hmm. all of the indigenous Mm -hmm. american practices labeled as witchcraft and so my goal was to talk about how we're going to use this umbrella term witchcraft in a performance about queer and marginalized empowerment Mm -hmm. to talk about how when you look at the word witchcraft you can take there's it's a box. You open that box up and you're like, here's some Native American practices. Mm-hmm. Here are some African practices. Mm-hmm. And a lot of them are related to dance. Mm-hmm. A lot of them are related mm-hmm. to invocations of spirits. Mm-hmm. And 
then you look at these like colonial pra- or these contemporary practices of dance, mm. which are rooted in celebrating each other and finding power and resonance um, and affinity. And so I was like, a dance performance that is contemporary, queer, African, um, indigenous dance, but draws upon those like historic manifestations of spirituality through dance mm-hmm. that was labeled as witchcraft is what I'm going to do. And with the choreographer who helped me make this, we looked at ball culture. Mm-hmm. So voguing, um, duck walking, etc. Mm-hmm. We looked at non-queer black dance practices Mm -hmm. we looked at indigenous dance practices and so as not to feel like let's just mix and match all of these cultures together Mm -hmm. we at SAIC there were tons of affinity groups Mm -hmm. um, and those are groups of multicultural backgrounds who are coming together to kind of like have that cultural moment mm-hmm. even though they're at school mm-hmm. because you can lose a lot of that if the institution doesn't give you a way to to have that for yourself mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. so I sat and I went to all of those groups because at the time I worked for student affairs mm-hmm. and I was like hey can you help me do this do you think I should do this do you think because I had enough just to take like African diaspora things, but I mm-hmm. wanted it to mean something to more people. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, help me. I would really appreciate your help. If you have the time, if you know how I can, if you can give me insight into how to not be messy, mm-hmm. I would really <laughs> appreciate it. Um, because I want to do right by people, mm-hmm. you know, art is, you get an opportunity to really do right by people with art mm-hmm. and, you have to put the work in. Mm -hmm. And so that's how all of those things ended up in a lovely little blender and served (laughs) out. Um, I felt really proud about that just because, you know, it is a lot of moving parts, Mm -hmm. but they're like, they connect to each other. Once, once you look at them, Mm -hmm. once you are really trying to, to find the ways that, marginalized people intersect Mm -hmm. when you try to find the ways that those spiritual practices of people intersect um you can do beautiful things with it you can Mm -hmm. really really make art that reaches people yeah so yeah well thank you (laughs) (laughs) it is about time to wrap up, but okay. I have one question that's yes. still there that I really want to ask. Okay. So I'm going to put it out there anyways. Okay. So going back to when your grandma first gave you that book, right? Mm-hmm. You were very young. Mm-hmm. So I imagine at that time you didn't know anybody else who yeah. was into witchcraft, who was reading about this. What was that moment when you finally met somebody else who connected in that identity that you hold? What was that like for you? TBH still waiting for that moment. Really? Um, yes. So there wasn't like a moment where I met someone face to face. Okay. Um, I was very exploratory as a kid, mm-hmm. not outdoors, but internet. Mm-hmm. Um, and no shade to my parents. Um, but 
you know, in fact, no shade to them. They trusted me. They mm-hmm. trusted me mm-hmm. not to misbehave on the internet. Mm-hmm. And I appreciate that because, or maybe they would have thought this was misbehaving. <laughs> um, but I joined an internet forum mm-hmm. of other people who practiced magic and witchcraft and they were all adults all of them Scandalous. and you were old when you i was first like joined? 15 okay um, you were a teenager at least yes child. <laughs> so yes i was you were a child, child. Were a child. <laughs> <laughs> and but i knew how to be safe and i knew how mm-hmm. how to how to be careful and not be wild on the internet mm-hmm. um and so like, those were the people who I'm, a few of them I'm still friends with to this day. They really, I really had a moment where I was able to connect with people in a way that I couldn't in an everyday experience. Mm-hmm. Um, nobody was really practicing magic. Even in high mm-hmm. school, I might have been the only one. Which is weird to think about, but I mm-hmm. guess, you know, even when you have like that TV idea of mm-hmm. the clicks, there is always one on mm-hmm. the TV and it was me. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, I haven't met people who have that same background as me. Like I know mm-hmm. a few more people who practice today. Mm-hmm. Um, but like I said, I don't know people who have been practicing all their life. Right. Um, and so, like, there's there's moments where you have to be, like, chill. Mm-hmm. You don't want to be like, I know so much more than you do. Um, <laughs> and so, like, you get to, I get to see people learning about magic and mm-hmm. kind of giving them, like, my recommendations. You could take them or you could leave them. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I didn't have a moment where I met someone who I felt was, like, up there with me like i met people who practice and they're amazing people they have their own journey and i really value and respect that but like in the moment like Mm -hmm. now that i've been doing it for like 20 years i've never met anybody who also has been doing it for like 20 years Mm -hmm. so yeah there's unfortunately not a moment where it's like and then i met that person and we've been best friends forever (laughs) um but yeah, I I do know a few people from that forum who mm-hmm. I still chat with every now and again mm-hmm. um, and just have really meaningful, witchy conversations with. And it's great. Wonderful. Aww. Thank you for sharing. Yeah. So Thank much you with for us having today. me. I know you already did it, but do you have anything else you want to shamelessly plug? Yes. I know you um, like teach dance classes. Too. Yes. So I teach dance classes um, privately and in. And in occasionally like a dance format, like a dance class format. So you can view my website, um, yeah. queerheresies.com. Wow. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, that'll have like all of my classes when they're listed. It has my rates for like individual classes and also all of my upcoming performance work and yes. any things I'm getting published. I do have an article coming out in a witchy magazine um called vinifica that's the latin word for witches and it's called visualizing queer heresies a manifesto so it talks about ways that we can in our everyday lives Mm -hmm. um kind of subvert normative culture normative realities um it'll be a lot of what i talked about here Mm -hmm. um but really kind of like 
high language, you know, whatever. <laughs> for the <laughs> um, publication. Yes, in a publication <laughs> format, not as like close and warm. Yeah. Like, it's it's warm, but not like this. You yeah. Know? Mm-hmm. But yeah, anything that I'm really doing is on my website. Um, okay. You can follow me on Instagram, Queer Heretic. There'll be stuff on there too. There was one other thing that I was thinking about. Oh, and I have a, another performance art show, uh, Queer Heresy's Original Sin um, mm-hmm. in August. Wonderful. So if you're in Chicago, it's at Roman Susan Gallery. Yeah. And you can look at my website to see the art for that. You can see the upcoming date for that. So please come. Yes. Wonderful. We will definitely check you out. Thank you. I'd love to come see you perform that. Please. Please, please. It's a it's an it's a long show. It's like an hour of performing. So, Wonderful. Is it yeah. dancing? I'm about time? it. Yes, wow. I'll be dancing for a full like forty five minutes to an hour. So wow. yeah, trying to get back i used to be super fit now i'm like i'm okay and i'm like get in gear yeah <laughs> get prepared <Early>. yeah <laughs> wonderful yeah okay. well thank you it's great you. having you thanks i'm so glad to be here so. yeah. we appreciate you thank you <laughs> yes don't forget to follow us on facebook and instagram at beyond queer stories also check out the creator of our podcast music b studwell She's an incredible queer artist from D.C., and you can check out her music at bsteadwell.com. If you're listening to us on iTunes, don't forget to rate us so others will be able to find our podcast. Talk Talk to you all all next next week. week. Next time on Beyond Queer Stories. It was Pizza Hut, Rantoul, Illinois, circa early 70s. On the jukebox, someone played One Tin Soldier from the Barry B. movie Billy Jack. Go ahead and hate your neighbor, go ahead and cheat a friend. Do it in the name of heaven, you can justify it in the end. The song, a metaphor for the Vietnam War, spoke to my impressionable young mind. The seeds of activism were planted in my brain, then and there. Sto